We are starting a, a, a small message series that is called Salt and Light. And Salt and Light, and I know that your Christian brains and the knowing of the Bible, it already starts connecting a few dots. And you know that Jesus had said something related to us and related to salt and related to light. And you're not wrong, because I'm not going to speak about salt per itself. And next week, someone is not going to just speak about light itself. We're going to speak about what the Word of God has to say about these words that are applicable to us today. And for us to begin, we start by going into a passage of Scripture that is very dear to me, and I am sure that it's very dear to you, in Matthew chapter 5. If you have, again, your Bibles, if you have a Bible app, I'll invite you to open right now, because it is so good to take notes, it's so good to following what we're reading together. But if you haven't, you can always feel free to um, accompany us from the screen. But we're going to start right in the beginning of this passage that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's a very long sermon, and I could just read chapter 5, 6, and 7 and call it a day because it's the Sermon on the Mount. And we would all listen to the Sermon of the Mount and go home and process everything. And it, wouldn't be, it would be fine because it, these words from Jesus are just amazing to learn from, are just amazing message, and it's the Word of God producing so much in our hearts. But I want us to stay here because that passage that speaks about salt is coming right after. But I do feel that when I, I started studying this, that there was so much for us to understand of then why Jesus is saying what he had to say after. But in the beginning, it says that Jesus is addressing a crowd. And by definition, it's hard to find a common trait among everyone that was listening to Jesus' words. In a crowd, there's all sorts of people. Like right now, here in this place, we know that there's men and women. We know that at that time was children. There were elderly, healthy and sick, rich and poor, educated and uneducated people. And so the only thing that these people, this crowd, they had in common was how hungry they were for God. When Jesus was addressing them, this was the one thing that made them all gather together on a mountaintop to listen the words of Jesus because people were hungry for God. And as Gabby said just now, that's what I love about church and that's what I love in a community like Riverside is that you look to your right and you look to your left. You can do that just now. Okay? A bit of an uh, awkward moment, but look them well. You can look them up and down and see they have really nice shoes, some of you. Yeah, you can compliment them. But you look and you see we're all very different people. 
And church, we are very different people, but the one thing that really gets us together and the one thing that we should have in common is our love for God and the love that God has for us. And the fact that we are together seeking him. And I don't know if you just started seeking God. If this is your first time at a church, you chose a very good church to visit for the first time. Let me say. I'm just saying because it's my home and I love this church. I love this community. But congratulations on making that decision. And if you are coming to church for a time now, maybe you've been serving and loving Jesus for a long time now. Church and community and being at the feet of Jesus and seeking him is the most important thing that we can make. And I love that, yes, we can come here for many different reasons. And I also come to see you because I love you and I like you. But most of all, We have come here because we are seeking the heart of God. We should have a heart, share a heart that seeks God. And what did Jesus say to such a diverse group of people seeking God? He told them, who are the people that God blesses? And this word bless and blessing, it's such a strong spiritual word. We feel the heaviness and the responsibility the people who God blesses. And blessing is not something that just we are, we're able to do. It's talking about the kind of blessing, about the presence of God, about the, the, the grace of God over people. And the, Jesus starts describing who are the people that God is blessing. The word bless originally written in the Greek that the Bible the, in the New Testament was written in is makarius. That's a name. Right, Barry? It's a name that someone can name a kid or someone. Makarios. It's not a terrible name, I guess. But it is, initially, when the, this word blessed, Makarios, was used, it was only for the Greek people to refer to the gods. Because the gods in the ancient Greek, they're the blessed ones. They don't have any troubles. They have all the power. They're able to do all things. They don't have the the problems and the issues that we have. So in the Greek word, they are the blessed ones because they live in a different planet, in a different world, that they don't have to face the things that you and I, we face. So in the original word, makarios were the gods. After uh, some time, it took on a second meaning, and it started referring to, to the dead. Why? Because the dead are no longer here. And in the Greek mentality and understanding of things, those who are dead, they are now resting. They don't have the troubles anymore. And so many times we even say in our language that people rest in peace because that's what we wish for them. Now they're able to rest. And they are the blessed ones because they don't have any more troubles in life. But then as the language continued to evolve... Makarius also referred to the elite, to the upper crust of society, the wealthy people. Referred to those whose riches and power put them above anyone else on this earth. Above all the people that had to struggle to make ends meet, all the peasants, everyone that had to worry about day-to-day life. So to be blessed, you had to be very rich. You had to be very powerful. You had to have many earthly things. You had to have a good wife or a husband, many children, abundant crops. You had to have more and better things than the ordinary person. And throughout the history of the world, and I believe still today, these are the people that the world considers blessed. And I don't know who you consider blessed 
in your life, in your own mindset. I don't know, but many times, and I, I would agree, and I would think with you that you would agree with me that you wouldn't define yourself as that. Blessed is always someone else because they have it better than you. For my oldest daughter, blessed are the people that get to go to Disneyland. That's, that's what she aims for. If you go to Disneyland, if you're at Disneyland, you've reached it. You've lived your best life. That's the pinnacle of all things. And I don't know if you agree with her or not, if you're that the Disney fan. But Jesus, in what he says, he turns it all upside down. It's, Jesus saying it's not the elite that is blessed. It's not the rich and powerful who are blessed. It's not the high and mighty who are blessed. It's not the people that get to live on the penthouse and the mansions and have the speedboats who are blessed. The elite in God's kingdom, the blessed ones in God's kingdom are those who are struggling in this world. And it feels like what a lost in momentum, Jesus you open a speech that is meant to inspire people, that is meant to, to make us want to change the world, and you simply say that blessed are those who struggle. But according to Jesus, blessed, the people that God is looking to bless are those who understand they don't have what it takes. People that are tired of losing. People who are desperate for justice, for peace, for righteousness, and even desperate to feel love. According to Jesus' words, these are the people that God is eager to bless. Now, today when people recognize that they're in pain, our culture is all about providing escapes. Wealth is an escape. You may not agree with me, but look at any website that speaks about celebrities. Just because you have celebrities, it doesn't mean that you have peace. It doesn't mean that you have love. It doesn't mean that you have less troubles in life. But the world is saying you just need a little bit more wealth. You just need the right set of pills, the right prescription to, for your depression. You just need to watch a little bit more Netflix and chill. And the world wants to sedate our bodies, wants to sedate our minds when we are acknowledging how lost our souls are really feeling. So the message that Jesus wants to give to those that are struggling, to those that feel lost, to those who do not have all the answers according to what the world says, Jesus wants to say that God is welcoming those that come to him who don't have it all together. Jesus welcomes those who are tired of this life and are short of solutions. And he was speaking to that crowd, but he is also speaking to us today. Because God is the one that can make us feel blessed in this life. God is the one that is able to breathe life into us today. We may not be blessed by the standards of this world, but we are blessed in the eyes of God because no matter how much we might struggle, we, are, we have God in our lives. We have Him. And that makes the whole difference. Blessed are those who struggle 
Because no matter how hard you might struggle, when you have purpose, when you have meaning, when you have a calling, when you have God's love, when you have the identity of heaven in you, it doesn't matter how hard life gets, you are blessed because you have him. And Jesus says, and this is a passage that many of you also know by heart in Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, come to Jesus, all who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. How many people do you know that do not find rest for their souls? It is a gift from Jesus to us. It's not that hard to understand what Jesus is saying and where he's coming from. You, we might feel that the only thing that we would like is to escape our troubles, escape our loneliness, escape this pressure that we feel. But Jesus is saying, come to me. If you want to understand what this is all about, if you want to understand and make sense of this world, if you want to understand why all of this is for, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest is something that comes when you come to Jesus, when you find him, when you spend time with him, when you learn from him, when you embrace him, when you accept this salvation, as Barry said, this salvation can only come from being with Jesus. But in this passage, in going back to Matthew 5, there is another kind of heart that God is seeking to bless. And it says in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So God wants to bless not just those who suffer, but especially those who suffer at the hands of others because of their faith in Jesus. Jesus is acknowledging a reality that maybe you haven't lived so much so far, but it's a reality that hasn't, cha hasn't changed since Jesus died on the cross until now. The world accepts many things. In this world, there is space for all kinds of beliefs, all kinds of cultures, In this world, people can live in all sorts of different ways, and some are quite weird, I have to say. I'm Portuguese, I'm from this part of the world, and you, yes, we travel, we see a lot of things, but some things, well, good for them, but it, that's not for me. But this world accepts their space for everyone, and diversity is amazing, and it is key, and the world still tolerates a lot of things, but ultimately, this world still does not accept and will never accept Jesus. And this is a truth, according to Jesus. He says in John chapter 1, verse 10, that he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to, wit to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
As much as we say Jesus, as much as we proclaim, and we know that Jesus is love, Jesus is good, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the Savior of the world, Jesus and the Word of God, they're the first to acknowledge that this world, still to this day, is rejecting Him. And why does the world reject Jesus? And we get more answers in 1 John chapter 2. And it says, starting in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So when the Bible is, just to clarify one thing, when the Bible is talking about the world, it's not uh, talking about the planet Earth with all its plants, the trees, and the animals, and the sunsets, and the oceans. When the Bible is talking about the world, he's not talking about that. The Bible is describing the sinfulness of humanity. There is a secular anti-God, ignoring God way of doing things that characterizes human society ever since there was one. And what does human society pursue? What does the world say that we should do to satisfy our pleasures, to satisfy our desires, to satisfy our self-centeredness? To put ourselves in the throne of our lives because it's about us and it's about what we want and it's about what we want to achieve. And what did Jesus teach? Jesus taught in Luke 10, 27. He said, he summarized the whole law. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This message is at the center of everything that Jesus had ever taught. One revolves around God, and one is around the self. They couldn't be any more different. What Jesus is pursuing and the desire of Jesus to us, what he came to teach us, and the way that he showed us, has nothing to do with how the world desires us to live. And how does God respond to that, to that rejection? It's an incredible way. The Bible says in John 3.16 that for God so loved, what? The world. You mean the plants? You mean the oceans? You mean the, the planet that he created? No. He loved the sinful people of this world. He loved societies. He loved us in spite of our sin. So he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. For whoever believes in him now shall not perish forever but have eternal life. How does God respond to our rejection of him? With love. Because that's who God is. We were just singing. His wrath, that's not in his nature. God is not angry by nature. God is love by nature. God loves us in his nature. And he loves people. And this love is not based on what you and I, we deserve from him. 
It's based on his essence. God doesn't like the things that people do, but he loves people. And that's hard, hard concept to understand. I agree with you. Because when we look at people, we see what they do. It's hard to dissociate. We look at people, they are for us what they do. If they commit murder, if they rape, if they're going into war and doing these terrible things, and we are seeing so many different things happening around in this world, and we cannot objectively separate things. But you know something? God is. And He still loves people even when they're doing the most atrocious things. He loves them. And that's why he sent Jesus, because none of us were righteous. And none of us are righteous in the eyes of God. But he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. For this world, God responded with love. I still don't understand fully how can he love us so much. But he does. Because that's what the Bible says. And that's what Jesus did on the cross almost 2,000 years ago. How does the world respond to this love? The Bible is very clear. It responds with hate. It responds with hostility, with persecution, with evil. And the Bible, and Jesus was telling us, it's not just towards God. It's towards the people who follow God. So how can God be calling his people blessed when they have to face all of this. John in chapters 13 to 17, a big sequence as well from scripture. It was a long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And in verse 33 of chapter 16, he tells them this. I have told you this so that through me, you may have peace. In this world... Again, in this world, in this society, in this way of things that you face outside, you will have trouble. But be courageous. I've overcome the world. So we are blessed. Our blessing is that Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus is saying that the sinful way of this world that ultimately kills, robs, and destroys people is already conquered. It has this way of the world being has its days counted. Everything that makes us mourn and thirst for righteousness and justice and love has its days numbered because the world will not last forever because Jesus lasts forever. If you don't say amen, I will say it gladly for you. This world will not last forever, but Jesus will last forever. Amen. amen. Jesus lasts forever. Jesus is the one that is in control. Jesus is the one that does not abandon the boat when it's complicated. Jesus is the one that loves us. And we can keep following Jesus and facing the troubles of this world with courage. Because this peace is the foundation of our lives. The victory of Jesus is the foundation of our peace. And in verse 12, going back to Matthew 5, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. On one side, he says, be courageous. 
be bold, persevere. And now he says, rejoice and be glad. Find contentment, find joy in this life. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We know that we are blessed because we have Jesus' peace inside of us. He has given us his peace while we have to face all of this. And we also have the promise of eternal life. What a blessing it is. We are assured of this. And then he says, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who are these prophets? The prophet in the Bible was someone who revealed God's messages to others. Some were like Moses, who they were leaders who heard directly from God and passed on the words of God through writing or speech, and they led the people in the ways of God. Some were like Joseph or Daniel, who interpreted dreams, who had visions. Some were like Isaiah and Amos, who received, again, prophecies and warnings about the future. But they had one, they had one thing in common, all of them was that the life of a godly prophet was never an easy one. They frequently got persecuted. So many got themselves killed. And Jesus saying the world responds to Jesus' followers with the same hostility it showed to his prophets. And you may be thinking of yourself, well, but I'm, I'm not a prophet. I am just a believer. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as just a believer. The Bible is calling you a chosen people. The Bible calls you a royal priesthood. The Bible calls you a holy nation. The Bible calls you and me God's special possession. You may think, oh, I'm not a prophet. I just know Jesus. I just follow Jesus. But you are everything that the Bible declares that you are. And you belong to God more than you belong to yourself or you belong to anyone else. Because that's what you get when you've surrendered your life to him. You belong to him. And it's in this context that we arrive at verse 13 in Matthew 5. Then Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. This is a statement of purpose. Because you're not literally salt. You have salt in your body. Any scientists in this room? Any physicians, people that studied chemistry? Wow, we're really lacking a few. Better not, not anyone. You don't, don't get sick, anyone, right now. Because no doctors in the room in case of emergency. Maybe some of you know that to do the Heimlich or something. But... No doctors in the room. But apparently, we all have salt in our bodies in a, such a quantity. But this is not addressing the physical salt. Jesus is saying something so much deeper. This is a statement of purpose. This is the reason why believers in Christ, we have to be in the world while we are not of this world. Believers in Jesus, we are not just suffering unnecessarily in this world. 
We're not just uncomfortable wherever we turn. We just do not feel these growing pains and birth pains and all these things that we go through for no good reason. Because as much as the world rejects us, the world needs us. As much of a difference that we make in the world that the world does not want us because we are Christ followers, the Bible says the world actually needs us here. We make a difference in the world the way that salt makes a difference on this earth. And I've just mentioned that salt is part of your nature, of your physical nature, because salt is essential for life. And if you don't believe in me, and because we don't have any physicians in the room, maybe you can believe the Salt Foundation, because I read it online. It exists, I'm telling you, I didn't know. There is such an organization that is the Salt Foundation. You, you ever pictured yourself working for the Salt Foundation? That would raise, wow, I've never thought there was such a thing. But it's a real organization, I'm not making it up. Salt is really essential for our health. It helps our cells, cells absorb nutrients. It aids the digestion process, enables the transmission of nerve impulses in our brains, and so much more. Did you know that the word salary comes from the Latin word salarium? Because Roman soldiers were partially paid in salt. Even the word soldier comes from the Latin saldare, which means to give salt. Salt is used for preservation. For thousands of years, salt has been used to preserve food such as meats, fish, and dairy products. Even now when we have developed refrigeration, which is amazing, salt remains an important aid to food hygiene. How many of you have eaten bacalhau? I think we still Portuguese people, we haven't figured out we have fridges. And we can freeze fish. For some reason, just putting that fish in salt makes it all very special. And it's tasty. I don't know if you like it or not. But we couldn't even have bacalhau, Portuguese people, if it wasn't for what salt does and the difference it makes. In food, salt enhances the flavor. In processed meats, it acts as a binder and improves tenderness. In bread, it strengthens gluten in the dough, provides uniform grain, texture, and strength, allowing the dough to expand without tearing. In cheese, it develops rind hardness and even consistency. In water, in drinkable water, the right amount can purify and soften, making it possible for us to drink. Every winter, millions of tons of rock salt are thrown and spread on the roads to make road travel possible. Hopefully you got a little bit of the picture of what Jesus wanted to say. Salt preserves. Salt enhances. Salt binds, strengthens or softens according to the right circumstances. Salt gives consistency and purifies. Dear friends, we're not just in this world to suffer. 
We are to be agents of change, of taste, and influence wherever we find ourselves because of the Jesus that lives in us. We are blessed by God to be salt on this earth, to make a difference in this world. There is a story in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings. In chapter 2 of 2 Kings, verse 10, we read this beautiful story. It says, one day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. Elisha was a prophet. And he said, we have a problem, my Lord, they told him. This town is located in, in pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since. Just as Elisha said. And the prophet was able to heal the bitter waters of Jericho with salt. And based on the words of Jesus, you represent, I represent the salt which God wants to use to change our city, to change our families, to change our society, to change the situation that you're in, to change your workplace, to change your relationships. Yes, God is able to use so many different things and even he was able to use salt as an instrument to make a miracle. But according to Jesus, you are the salt of this earth. You are who God wants to use for his glory to make a difference. You were not called to be in Lisbon right now in this moment of your story just by chance. Whatever brought you here, God is with you, and he wants to use you to be the difference. But he warns us in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So church, this is a warning for us. This is a warning for the children of God who are on this earth. Us that work on the day-to-day, us who have dreams and have plans and we want to travel and we want to accomplish and we want to live life and, and God has so many good things in store for us. It's a reminder for us that we cannot lose our saltiness. Because it is possible for salt to lose its qualities. It is possible for a Christ follower to lose its qualities. We lose our saltiness if we lose our courage. If we lose our peace. If we stop having hope. If we stop having the heart that is seeking the heart of God. If we stop having the heart that God is seeking to see. On his followers. 
And we live in complicated times and I would be lying if I said that the hardships of this life, they never get to me. That they never discourage me. But the Bible says that even if I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Even if we have to go through the hardest of times, I should not fear. I can be bold. I can be courageous because God is with me. And you are facing many things and you have many challenges and you, you have many uncertainties and you have so many pressures all around you. But one thing the Bible wants you to be sure of so that you can find your peace is that God is with you and you do not have to be fearful because he is. And wherever he is, he has his peace to give you. So, dear friends, as the worship team comes and we continue worshiping our King together, I believe that God is wanting to speak into our hearts today. Because I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. And I don't know the things that you might be running away from. And I don't know the uncertainties and the displeasures that you're feeling because you look at what everyone else has but you do not have. And you feel that you do not have what it takes. Jesus is saying, you are blessed. And God is looking out for you. And you are siding with God. And God has your back. And God is with you to bless you and to keep you and to strengthen you. And to provide for you. And to keep you safe. But that's not just for your enjoyment it's because he has a plan and a purpose for your life you are meant to be salt on this earth you are meant to make a difference you are here to make a change and making a change sometimes it's so uncomfortable it's so out of our comfort zone and it just feels that the word is just rejecting you and who are you to say anything but God wants to use you like salt And no matter how hard the circumstances are, because you are in them, the presence of God is with you. And he wants to change things. Will you stand with me? We're going to enter a time of worship and we're going to continue singing together to this God that has promised that he will be with us, that he's going to strengthen us all the way. And this is a time for you to bring everything you have before God. You can bring to Him the heaviness of your heart. You can bring to Him your questions. You can bring to Him your doubts. You can bring to Him all the different things that you're feeling because He can handle it. But He has been allowing all of that to happen, not just for Because you're going to be destroyed. He's allowing all of that to happen so that you can see His glory in your life. And like salt that we are in the kitchen, we just take a little bit of it and we throw it into the hot water and we throw it into food and we throw it everywhere. And it's not understanding what it's doing. But you are like salt in the hands of God. 
You may not know and understand everything that you're going through, but God knows. And He knows how to use your life. He knows not just how to bless you, but where to put you so that you can make a difference and be a blessing in His hands. Let me pray for you and me. Father, thank you that you are with us this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us today again that our sufferings and our hardships in you, they have a purpose. That the things that we go through in this life, they don't mean that it's the end. They simply mean that we're going to see your glory displayed in our life. Thank you for these beautiful promises that we want to make our lives all about them. Lord, we want to embrace the plans and the purposes that you have for us. We want to live for you. As limited we feel, as troubled so many times we feel, as, as complicated as things can get on this life and we feel so devastated, God, but we want to declare that we love you and we want to embrace your love. And God, we want to live for you. And we accept the plans and the purposes that you have. And we accept the identity that you want us to live every single day of our lives. Lord, I pray for, for all of us this evening that we can be as salt in your mighty hands. God, in this world that is so desperate, the world that is in so many ways such a dark place, such a complicated mess, Father, I pray that you will rise us up with a voice that speaks the words of heaven. Father, that you will use us as prophets to speak your word into people's lives. Even if they reject it, God, you've called us to make a difference. Help us make a difference for you in this earth. May, may the people all around us know that we live for a God that lived for us and died on the cross for us and rose again for the dead for us. Thank you, God, that you're the one that is able to make all of this happen. Help us to not lose our courage. Help us not to lose the peace that we've received from you. Help us to persevere no matter what the circumstances say. We believe in you, and we believe in your power, and we believe in your love for us. So comfort us today. Comfort your people today as you empower us to serve you like never before. So, Father, we pray this way in these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.